Our second lesson picks up in the third and final chapter of Habakkuk. Speaking about God, Habakkuk says, His glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of His praise. The brightness was like the sun. Rays came forth from His hand where His power lay hidden. Before Him went pestilence, and plague followed close behind. He stopped and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The eternal mountains were shattered along his ancient pathways. The everlasting hills sank low. Though the fig tree does not blossom and no fruit is on the vines, though the produce of the olive fails and the fields yield no food, though the flock is cut off from the fold and there is no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exult in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the de- feet of a deer and makes me tread upon the heights. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The sermon title is It's Obvious, and that's a bit ironic because there's nothing obvious about what's happening in Habakkuk. So we don't know where he's from. We don't know when he's from. We don't know what he's writing about. We don't know specifically what he is bemoaning to God here in chapter one. For those of you at home, I'm looking this way because that's where 92% of the congregation is this Sunday. The whole building's going to tip over. Um, and uh, that actually is freeing for us. We don't have to sit here like we were at last week and think about, well, how would an army at the walls be different? How would that change things? How would an army outside the gates ready to come in and destroy us? How, how would our faith feel then? Ask yourself, as our Sunday school lesson did this morning, have you ever felt like it's just all bad news? Hmm. I think we've had that conversation a time or two. Have you ever thought that it's just going wrong and nothing's going right and it's never going to get better? And oh my God, why aren't you doing anything about this? If you have, you can relate to the book of the prophet Habakkuk. I'm going to say that's most of us, if not all of us. Uh, The challenge, of course, with that is that this is a very Jewish way to go about this. The, The Jews feel much more willing to confront God and say, hey, God, your coffee break is up. Let's get back to it. Yeah, based based on your response, that's the Christian response. Oh, I feel a little uncomfortable about calling God out. Maybe I shouldn't do that. That's not very polite. Well, this understanding of covenantal theology, that there's a back and a forth and a relationship here, should extend into Christianity as well. We just get a little nervous about calling out the creator of all things. We may need to learn something from our older cousins, the Jews, on this one. Because frankly, you know, when it gets bad enough, we all do it. Yo, God, I've been praying. I've been showing up at church. I've been putting money in the plate. I've been going to Sunday school. I read my Bible. I do my prayers. Why is the world falling apart around me? Why can I not get help in my life? I've made that prayer. I'm betting I'm not the only one in the room or online who's ever made that prayer. Habakkuk is just enshrined enshrined in Scripture for us. So some 2,500 years later, we're reading about him calling God out.
There's also a bit of truth to this comic that floats around every now and then. It's called Pontius Puddle, and it's a conversation between two sort of people sitting on a rock in a tree. Um, every now and then I want to ask God, why is there injustice? Why is there violence? Why is there war? Why is there poverty? Why is there disease? Why is there, why do bad things happen? And one of the people says to the person who says that, well, why don't you ask? And the person says, well, I'm afraid he's going to ask me the same thing. Right? So this covenantal thing does go both ways, and we have some work to do in that. And we get to that in the, in chapter two here, where Habakkuk says, well, I've kind of made my complaint. Now I'm going to sit here in my watchtower and my rampart, and I'm going to wait and see what God does about this. And God goes, no, you're not. You are going to write the vision, God's vision that persists, that endures, that remains, that still goes. You're going to write it down and you're going to put it on tablets and they're going to be so big that a runner can see them. And this is where our conversation in Sunday school really went off the rails. Because, you know, this is something we do every week is we put something on that sign every week that a driver can read as they go by that is about the vision God has for this church and this community and this world. And we started thinking about like, okay, so it needs to be something powerful. It needs to be theologically true and sound. That was me. I, I, I think it needs to be theologically true and sound. Um, Nobody else may care, but I do. And uh, it needs to be something that's going to grab their attention. It can't be something they've heard a hundred thousand times before. God is love on the sign is not going to get it done. And so we looked at church billboards and we looked at websites that get people's attention about God. And we, we talked about how it would be hard to gel it down into something that fits on that sign. I mean, I have trouble writing things that just use the right number of letters so that Dave can actually fit all of them on the right lines. Because you need to have the time and the date and the place and the thing. And <sighs> so this thing that God is asking Habakkuk is not as simple as it sounds. Just the practical part of it. Then the question is, what is the vision? What is the vision that God is telling Habakkuk is still there and still endures and still exists? We went through, we threw out grace, we threw out love, we threw out hope, we threw out salvation, we threw out mercy, we threw out justice. And then we realized we'd need to have a hyperlink for them to click it so they could get the longer text on the webpage or something like that. And so how is it, what is this vision ultimately is the question we were struggling with in Sunday school. What is this vision that God is casting then and now? We did not come to an answer. We thought that the fastest way we could make everybody get really frustrated with this and with each other was to give you each a week to determine what goes on the sign. And then you could just yell at each other about the things you put on it. Because I know we're not going to agree about that either. So let's go back to Habakkuk instead of chewing on our sign for a moment. Ultimately, there's a piece here at the end of chapter two 
that fits our Advent season really well. It says, wait. The vision is coming, even if it's delayed, even if it tarries. Tarries is not a word I regularly use in, in speech. Even if it tarries, wait for it. God is still doing God's thing. And that, that, that's a really good Advent message. And it would have been great for us liturgically if Habakkuk had stopped there. He did not. Chapter 3, chapter 3 gets hard. Though the fig tree does not blossom and the fruit, there is no fruit on the vines. Though the produce of the olive fails and the fields yield no fruit. Though the flock is cut off from the fold and there is no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. When there's no food in the pantry, when the electric is cut off, when the water is cut off, when I don't have my meds, still I will rejoice in the Lord. That's a pretty hard sell. That's a pretty big ask. Though the holiday is here and everybody is supposed to be gathering and there is no food in the pantry and there are no people at the table and grief is heavy, I will still rejoice in the Lord. That's a heavy lift. I mean, that is a really heavy lift for us. Though it's a week of family and friends and food, I have no table invited to be at. I can't go home and nobody else wants me yet I will still rejoice in the Lord. That is a heavy lift. I liked Habakkuk better before chapter three. But ultimately, that's, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where the challenge of faith is, is not when it's all going well, but sort of when it has all come off the rails. That is where faith comes in, because let's be honest, when there's no food, no electric, no medicine, they've cut off my cell phone, I don't have a job, and the car won't start, I have two choices faith-wise. I can either still believe in the Lord, or I can say, fine, God, I gave you your chance, we're done with you. And I've seen people do both. I've seen people do both. There's an apocryphal story that comes out of the Jewish community. One of the great Jewish thinkers has these 13 faith statements. And the 13th one, right? again, Christians would never make 13 of anything. We're just, we stop at 12. I don't know. They did 13 is, the Lord is ever faithful. I will wait for the Lord. That's the, the summary and the gist of it. And when you think about the history of Judaism, the Old Testament narrative, the stories of the 2,000 years since Christ about what it means to be Jewish in the world, you can feel some resonance there. The apocryphal part of that story, part that we don't know if it's true or not, is that that is set to music, and it's part of the liturgy of, of the Jewish faith community. And the legend is that the music they sing... was written by a rabbi in a rail car on the way to Treblinka. 
And that every Jew who went to the gas chamber in the ovens at Treblinka sang that along the way. And it only came out because somebody survived that story, that part of history. God is ever faithful. I will wait for God comes out, at least in legend, of perhaps the biggest, least human disaster of a faith community. What do you do with that? I mean, honestly, how do you stay faithful through all that? Well, we ask the questions of ourselves. How do we stay faithful through the loss of a loved one? How do we stay faithful through a health diagnosis? How do we stay faithful through the loss of a job or divorce? How do we stay faithful through the loss of a home or bankruptcy? How do we stay faithful through all of the challenges of everyday life? How do we stay faithful through addiction? How do we stay faithful through jail? So the next question in our Sunday school stuff that really got us going was, how do you bring this tangible hope that seems to be there in Habakkuk? He's, he's going to end on hope. I mean, he ends on hope here. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and makes me tread upon the heights. How do we find hope? And how do we take tangible hope into those encounters we have with people who have no fields, who have no olives, who have no sheep, whatever those are today? And we ultimately came out with, is we show up. We sit with people, we listen, we hear the story, we don't pretend to have the answers. And their faith will often inform our faith in those moments. They may still be the ones who have the hope that we thought we were taking to them. They may have a story about the loved one that they're grieving that we don't know that transforms things. They may have a history. They may have made it through this once before already. And we don't know that because let's be honest, we don't tell each other everything, do we? We're very good at hiding the bad stuff, hiding the stuff that makes us uncomfortable. And so Habakkuk is pushing us, pushing us to be able and willing to see that our faith may not be obvious. We may not know what to put on that tablet, but we know that when push comes to shove, our faith undergirds almost everything we do and everything we are. And sometimes we just have to give each other the opportunity to remember that. I have prayed at a lot of bedsides over the years. And I have never known what to say. So I have started just asking. And I remember sitting with this family, Judy and Brent, uh, this was in Salt Lake City, and Judy was on her fourth battle with breast cancer 
over 30 years. She had already whooped it three times. She had made it through the other side. The hair had grown back. The weight had come back. The energy and the vibrancy had come back. But this fourth time, we were in the middle of it. And so her husband and her kids were out in the living room. They asked me to go talk to her. She was in the bedroom because she just didn't have the energy to get out of bed. And Judy and I talked for about 10 minutes. And then she was, I mean, her, her battery was just running down. She was exhausted. And uh, she asked me to bring the, the, her husband, Brent, and the kids back in the room, and we were going to pray together. And I just looked at her and said, Judy, what do you want to pray for? And she said, peace. And the tension went out of the room. All of us who thought we had to have something for her to give her hope, to give her a chance to live and survive. Her faith that said that death was not the end, that we serve a risen Savior. Her faith was a gift to us that all she needed was peace. And we prayed for peace, and she died not too much longer than that. But in the middle of I don't have health, and I don't have hair, and I don't have energy, and I don't know if I want to do this again. She gave us, out of the deep well of her faith, peace and hope. So I think what Habakkuk is trying to tell us in all these times and places that no matter how bad it looks, no matter how bad it is, we are called to remain engaged with our God and to listen to one another about what is happening in those moments. What do people need? What, what do they have to give in those moments? And so we head into this Advent season and we do a lot of waiting and we're very, very bad at waiting. Part of this is God telling Habakkuk and us, don't just wait. Share the vision that God has that endures until it comes and then beyond. Share the vision. Make it easy. Make it obvious. Make it simple. And remember that in the midst of all of it, all of it, hope comes from some surprising places. It comes from a little shrunken woman in the middle of a huge bed. It's going to come from a child born in Bethlehem. It comes from a man put to death who rises. It comes from the people who make room at the table for us. It comes from the people who, in the middle of their grief, offer us a cup of coffee and want us to be made comfortable and at home. Our faith penetrates the deepest, the darkest, and the hardest places of our lives. And it is from there that our faith and our hope shine the brightest. Because the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. 
To God alone be the glory this day and forevermore. Amen.